from the EPR Creation Studio. This is the Unconquered Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Jason Staples. This episode coming out just a little bit later than, in, than anticipated and then hoped. Uh, thanks to last late last week, my wife gave birth to our second child, so apologies for this being delayed, but uh, not much we could do to avoid that. Anyhow, let's go ahead and get to business. This show is brought to you by EPR Creations. EPR Creations partners with small businesses for website development and online strategy planning. I partnered with EPR Creations to build the Show the Safeties petition to get ESPN, CBS, and other networks to update the angles they use for televised football. If you want to be able to see the receivers downfield on pass plays, sign the petition at showthesafeties.com. And if you have any need for an improved internet presence or just want to improve your marketing, call EPR Creations or send them an email and let them know you heard about them from the Unconquered podcast. You'll be glad you did. Information's in the show notes. First thing to talk about, of course, is Mike Norvell being out with the coronavirus, with COVID-19. A positive test has sidelined the Florida State head coach for the Miami game. And this is a this is a pretty big deal, as you might expect. And um, yeah, I think ultimately, uh, I, I was asked right after it happened, you know, scale of one to ten, how much. Uh, how much do you? How much difference do you think this makes for Florida State? And, and my thought was somewhere around a five. I think during the week, in terms of practice, there is a little bit of a difference during the week in terms of preparation because the head coach isn't there to get after guys. And you even even though Norvell is watching real time and providing some uh, some feedback and all of that remotely, it's still a little bit different than when you can see it up close and personal and when you can get after a guy in, in, in person. So that makes a little bit of a difference, but in terms of preparation overall, it, they're going to basically be doing the same things that they would have. Otherwise Norvell's still going to be the one focusing on getting the game plan, just how he wants it. He's still going to be the primary uh, voice in terms of the offense. They're very collaborative on Norvell's staff in terms of what they're doing offensively anyway. But uh, but he's still going to be the guy that's going to going to be the lead voice. He's going to be the one that's going to make the decisions in terms of what they're doing. So in that sense, it shouldn't make that big of a difference. They're still going to be running his offense. He's still going to be the one to draw up the script, the opening script and, and the game plan. All that stuff's going to be him. Uh, you know, the, the detailed call sheet and the way that these call sheets work is you have third and third and short. These are the plays that we've installed. Here's here's how we're thinking. All that stuff's on the play sheet. Dillingham's going to have that in front of him. Uh, the same thing with the other offensive coaches. You're going to these these things are all there, and those are prepped during the week. And this is where having a really organized coach like Norvell actually. This is the sort of thing that if you're going to have a coach that's going to go out, the better the coach, the better the head coach, the more the team. It's it's a strange thing, it's sort of paradoxical. The better the head coach, the more the team should be able to absorb a game day loss of that head coach in all sorts of areas because the head coach will have set the program with such a culture and established such organization that they should be able to to handle it in his absence. So bad head coaches, the ones that are going seat of the pants and that guy's really needed on game day because of that. So obviously there are still going to be impacts on game day. I mean, he is the play caller when it comes, comes down to it. You can have that play sheet selected all you want, but there is something to intuition and he's a very intuitive play caller. He understands 
uh, his offense better than anybody, even though Dillingham gets it quite a bit. And he's the decision maker when it comes to go for it or not. And Thompson's going to apply the same logical principles and all of that. But there is something to having the, the the general out there to make sure that those decisions are made. And and again, there is a confidence that teams take on the persona of the of their leader, uh, that both at the quarterback position first and then also at the head coaching spot. So there is something lost in terms of the confidence of all of that, but. Again, it's not like this is a, uh, this is this, you take the loss of your head coach over the loss of your best player generally in this kind of situation, uh, especially when the head coach is still doing most of the, most of that planning and, and able to handle that during the week. So big deal, but maybe not as big a deal as it could be. Um, I don't think that this is one of those things where it's, he's, he's worth a touchdown just being there. This is a situation where, you know, maybe in a, in a tight situation, maybe, one or two play calls, it makes a it makes a difference on game day, but overall, probably in terms of actual impact, you're looking at maybe a couple points uh, on average. That's that's my guess, and and that's still that's still not insignificant, but it's I think a testament to how organized he and the staff have already been that it isn't going to be as as big a deal as it might be otherwise. So so that's that's the first order of business. Second order of business since I last recorded is that uh, the transfer portal has been busy for Florida State, and there's going to be a few more, uh, most likely, that, that enter that transfer portal. First guy to go in, DJ Matthews. And uh, that, as those of you who've listened to this show for a while know, is no cause for alarm or uh, being upset, in my view. This is a, an, a multiplication by subtraction situation. Uh, this is a guy who brought more division to the team than he did addition in all sorts of ways. And I think just overall, you want to see that guy uh, go ahead and take his talents elsewhere. Now, he is a special talent with the ball in his hands and a guy that in terms of what Norvell wants to do with his playmakers on the outside, if you're talking about a guy that's not going to bring all sorts of other division to the to the team and to the program, then you want that guy on your team. But overall, the general rule is you want uh, you want that guy. You want you want cancers out of your program. And I'll just say this: that when the when the prior staff, when Willie Taggart's staff came in, they did some off season stuff and brought in some consultants and everything, and, and had their team run through a, a variety of drills and and all sorts of things to to let these outside consultants work with these players in in these kinds of uh, in these high pressure type situations. And then they had a debrief with these guys and, and went through the whole roster. What did you think about this player's leadership potential? What did you think about this? What did you think about that? And these are guys that don't generally use the C word and they use the cancer word about two, about two players on this, on, on the roster that were still on the roster. That is, they use that, that, that cancer word about two guys that were on the roster when Mike Norvell took over. One was Kalon LeBourne and the other was DJ Matthews. And they basically said, look, our view is that if you, that there's really not much you can do with cancer. You, you have to excise it if you're going to be successful. Uh, and obviously the last staff gave those guys as many chances as they could, but ultimately those guys have, have that that's, that's who they've been. And, and so I don't think there's any, uh, there's going to be a whole lot of crying in, in the Moore Center over DJ Matthews uh, having left. So that's, um, that's, that in my view is a, is a, is a positive. The negative one, I am 
somewhat disappointed to see Isaiah Bolden put his name in the portal. He's a guy that did just move from corner to wide receiver. And with his speed, I, I talked about how if he could just stick it out and, and, uh, work on gaining the the knowledge and the feel for the position that he needed. He could really be a playmaker at that spot in, in Norvell's system. Uh, a guy with that size and and speed could really be dangerous. And he, I think, I, I, my, my suspicion that a lot of this basically boils down to, look, when you are, when you just move from one position to another, you're not going to play a lot. And he got out, he, he, he saw in this first game, he didn't play a snap on offense. And, it gets frustrating when you're when you're just not playing, and he probably wants to just go somewhere where he can play and where he knows he's going to play. Uh, and you know that's it's too bad because next year you're looking at a guy that could really be uh, a player at that position for Florida State. But uh, that's that is what it is. Other news: Chuba Purdy has returned to practice. No contact, obviously. Limited action. I don't expect to see him against Miami. Don't necessarily expect to see him the week after, but as they get comfortable with that with that shoulder being fully healthy, and it'll be actually stronger having been having gone through the surgery and healed up uh, than it was before in terms of resistance to to breakage. Uh, then once they once they feel like he's fully healthy, it'll be interesting to see how quickly he actually gets some snaps. But uh, very good that he's actually getting a chance to uh, get some reps in practice and try to begin to get his feet a little bit wet and get some get some opportunities to learn the system so that he's, if nothing else, better prepared to compete for the job next year. Also of interest, Josh Kando, questionable for the Miami game, but looks like he's going to be back during the year. And that's really important because they just are not very, they're, they're not as good up front without him. He's a guy that, as I said in the, in the preseason podcast, I think he's got all American type potential at that position. And they don't have anybody else close to that at that position. The the replacement for him, uh, Quayshon Fuller, he's a he's a perfectly competent player, but he's not Josh Kando, not going to be able to uh, to affect the game to that degree from the edge. And Kando on the field opens things up for those defensive tackles to make some make some noise, which they didn't do against Georgia Tech. But at least it gives them some options. We'll see whether he plays for Miami, plays against Miami. If he does, Florida State's chances to win in that game go up pretty significantly. I think he's worth you know a few points, you know two three points in terms of uh, of his impact there. Partly because of his ability to, uh, with his length and with his size, to really affect the running game and uh, to impact Derek King's ability to get up the field as a, as a as a runner. I think with Kendo on the field, he's he's going to have fewer fewer rush lanes when he either drops back or when he's running the read game and that sort of thing. So uh, that's that's important. Hamsa uh, Nasir al-Din is the other one who's also listed on the depth chart. He was listed as an or for Jaden Lars Woodby, uh, along with Jaden Lars Woodby at the Buck safety. That's also really uh, a, a, a positive sign. You're looking at a guy that a lot of pro scouts think is a first round talent that was not on the field against Georgia Tech. I wouldn't expect him to start against Miami. I know he's an or I think it's going to take him a couple more weeks to really be back up to speed to where he can he can play a lot of snaps. But I do think he'll probably be out there uh, on Saturday against Miami. So that that's a real positive. And then uh, Love Taylor also listed on the depth chart, and he needs to be out there on Saturday. But uh, reports from from practice are that he uh, is fully expected to play on Saturday. And they, like I said, they really need him to be uh, to be healthy there because 
as we saw against Georgia Tech. When you get past the uh, the first five on the offensive line, they've got a long way to go, and it's just uh, they're they're going to have to really develop that that uh, <laughs> that roster beyond those five guys. And even those five guys, we'll talk about that in a moment. Even those five guys could have been better. Uh, and I think it was a, a nice improvement over what we've seen the last couple of years, but still a lot to work on there. So we're actually in the next segment, we're going to go ahead and take a look at that Georgia Tech game and we'll evaluate a few things that I didn't get to in the uh, post post game pod and that have emerged after looking a little closer at some things. So uh, be a little bit shorter section in terms of evaluating both the offense and the defense, actually a couple special teams notes as well, but uh, worth doing at this point. Going to do the Miami uh, preview a little bit later, but going to do some uh, revisiting of the Georgia Tech game in the next segment, and then we'll look at uh, what we can expect for the rest of the year and do some question and answer in the third segment. I want to pause for a moment and thank Louis Marquez from Keller Williams Realty in Jacksonville, Florida. Over 90% of home buyers search online first these days, so it's critical to make sure your listing stands out with great pictures and video. Lewis is a trained photographer and videographer. Other realtors have hired him to come photograph their listings, and nobody will make your home look better for prospective homebuyers, including smooth, professional walkthrough video. And if you're in the market to buy a home in the greater Jacksonville area, no one will outwork Lewis. He was a manager at the Pickup Publix on Ocala and Tallahassee, so you know he works hard and understands customer service. He'll help you find the right house and make sure every step goes smoothly through closing. Information in the show notes. Let them know you heard about them from the Unconquered podcast. So looking back at the Georgia Tech game, I'm going to start on the offensive side. A few things to uh, to, to get in terms of takeaways. And some of you on Twitter have already seen some things uh, that uh, Dave, David Hale and some others have posted. Uh, also, Steve Pointer posted some things, some really interesting things about Florida State's level of success with the starting five offensive linemen on the field versus any other five any other combination of five offensive linemen on the field, much more success with the starting five. I mean, over four yards, uh, about four, almost five yards of play with them on the field, and then under two yards of play with the, with the other five, or with any other combination on the field. I do want to highlight there that there's some additional things that, in addition to the uh, to the offensive line combinations that really come into play here, and that is, I think it's really evident that the offense is very much pared down right now. They they did not run the full offense on on Saturday. This is a uh this is spring practice offense. They just don't have all of the checks and the wrinkles and everything else and the, basically the whole playbook is not available right now. You can see that they don't trust these guys to run it. And that's just a that's just a factor of being in year 0. You didn't get a spring practice. You didn't get a normal fall after spring and you didn't get the normal summer where guys can actually uh, do some, some work together on the field to really get a, a feel for what they're being asked to do. So this is very much year zero and the, you could see that they just don't have a mastery of the full Norvell offense. And, and that starts really in the fact that they ran a much more limited set of run packages. So in terms of run concepts, running game concepts, they ran a lot fewer of those in this game than typical Norvell offensive play calling. Uh, it's just not the same, not the, not the same amount of variety, uh, less pulling overall than what you would see from Norvell's group at, uh, at, at, at Memphis and, and before. 
ran more straight zone, outside zone, inside zone, a lot of outside zone in this game. And just that lack of variety takes away some of what has made Norvell's offenses especially successful. They really need to get to where they're more comfortable running more stuff in order to be able to compensate for some of the weaknesses that they have on offense. But the problem is that when they pulled some guys, Dante Lucas in particular had a rough game. I mean, you had, you had guards just whiffing at times on the pole and you can't whiff on the pole or there's, it, it just totally blows up the, the play. And there were a number of these where basically the, a lot of the, a lot of the movement that they want to use up front to take advantage of angles and all of that. These guys are still learning how to make sure that they have those proper angles and how to make sure that they don't just let a guy run right by him and do, do the old Ole. You, you've got to actually have your footwork in place. You've got to be in, in position uh, to, to be able to make those things work. And you have to understand the concepts and you have to be able as an offense to know what your job is and to know what the guy's next, what the guy next to you's job is and be able to, to communicate and make checks and all of that. That's really in, uh, important in Norvell's system where there are a ton of offensive line checks. I mean, I, I need to emphasize that even more. I mean, I talked about it in the preseason. There's a lot of offensive line checks in this offense, very similar to Jimbo Fisher's offense in that respect, which was demanding of the offensive line. There is, if there, you know, if this guy's in a four eye versus a five five technique, so on the inside eye versus on the outside and the outside gap, it may be a completely different. It's the same play, but there may be a completely different blocking scheme that they're asking these guys to do. Sometimes with a verbal check, and sometimes just an auto automatic check, where one guy has to do one thing and the other guy has to know that he's got to do the other. So they're 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 limited right now, and that that's going to matter now. Overall, I did think that there was improvement up front. The offensive line starters were okay. I, I thought the weakest players up front were Dante Lucas and, and uh, Devontae Love Taylor. Those two struggled a good portion of the game. Maurice Smith was, I thought, the best. Darius Washington was the next best. And Babyon Johnson was right in the middle. But Devontae, Taylor, Devontae Love Taylor... He, he struggled just physically. He's just not... He's not uh, a traditional Florida state level tackle. And we knew that that's okay. I mean, that, that is who he is. He's still the best guy that they have at that spot. And, but there were times where he, he had trouble physically. Now in terms of a sound assignment, soundness and all of that, he was, he was up there. He, he did better. Lucas was a mixture of both Lucas. When he at, was asked to pull, when he was asked to move, he's just not where he needs to be in that regard. Now, he did better when he was just asked to do straight zone stuff, when he was just asked to move forward and, and all of that. That was, that was a better situation for him. What I was most impressed by, actually, though, by the offensive line is how much time. I mean, you go back and you look at this, how much time they gave James Blackman to throw. Blackman had all day back there at times. Now, he was seeing ghosts. Like, if you go back and you look at the play where, and, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be posting the video where I break this down. I'm going to go in quarter by quarter. Uh, through the game on Patreon. And again, it's later than I wanted uh, to, to post that. And I, I'll usually have some live options for people to participate with that. But given the circumstances of the last week, I think you all could probably understand why that hasn't happened. But in any case, when I post that, you'll see that, I mean, the guy could have eaten a sandwich back there in the play that, that he threw the interception. But he saw some ghosts and was trying was stepping around and his eyes fell. He's just not used to having that amount of time. So that actually is a real positive because you're looking at five guys, a standard five-man protection, and he had four or five seconds to throw. Now, he still made a bad choice, but 
you got to get him comfortable back comfortable enough back there with that amount of time to be able to sit there pocket didn't break down he could have just sat there for a little longer and then just decided to go through his reads and 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 make the next throw but he's going to have to get comfortable doing that but i thought the pass protection was better than i expected uh Darius Washington in particular i thought did a really good job in terms of his feet and in terms of of using his arm length to be able to uh he got pushed around a little bit at times, but but not but it was a get run over slowly situation, which as we said on the podcast for a couple of years, if you can just get into a get run over slowly situation, it's huge progress for this offensive line. And and Washington uh is is actually doing that. He he was able to get in front of guys and make sure that it was not just he was more than just a speed bump on the way to the quarterback. And that's that's uh that's real progress. Now the big thing is they need to make sure that Robert Scott and Thomas Schrader are available in in, in the future. I, I'm not sure in this game, whether they were out because of COVID-19 or whatever else, but Scott was not available for this one. He really needs to be the next tackle off the bench. Uh, Neil, by the way, has gotten sort of unfairly criticized for the play that he gave up. Uh, actually, he was in okay position. He just got beaten in hand fighting by a little bit of a technical mistake on third and long. I thought the play call there was a bigger issue than the, uh, than the actual play by, by Neil. And I think he'll, he'll be a guy that, uh, that, I'm I'm not I haven't given up on him entirely, but I do think that Robert Scott, based on feedback from practice and all of that, Robert Scott is 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 gonna have to be the guy that is the next tackle off the bench. And I think that makes them a lot better if he's out if he's able to go out there, which says a lot because he's a true freshman. But I think Scott's probably gonna be a starter at one of those spots next year and uh is a guy that uh they're gonna need to be able to to use in the rotation if a love Taylor or a Darius Washington has, has to step out for a little bit. I think Scott needs to be, uh, needs to be available. Uh, and Schrader similarly on the inside, really, they just need the, the physicality and, and sort of the nastiness that he, he can bring to that. And again, uh, some has shown some promise there. Those two guys, those two young guys are guys that, uh, that they have high hopes for and, uh, and feel like they can make a difference for them moving forward. Now, the other thing that really stood out in, in, you know, I, I, I was hard on Blackman in my, hot takes podcast. But the other thing that really stood out is the wide receivers did him no favors. And and I talked about this on that, on the podcast, but I want to emphasize this again. The wide receivers are supposed to be the strength of this team. Wide receivers are the ones that we, we talked about it in the preseason. If this offense is going to have any success at all, those guys need to make big plays and they made big plays. They just happen to be the wrong direction, dropping balls, just not being quite where they're supposed to be at different points and, and causing Blackman to, to pull the ball down. Wide receivers need to make plays if this offense is going to have any chance of scoring in this in, in the season. And that starts with Tamori and Terry, and that works its way down through Pokey Wilson, Warren Thompson, Jordan Young, and so on. And, you know, I my view is if Thompson continues to have the Keith Gavin disease in terms of dropping catchable balls, then you need to move down to Jordan Young. You need to move on to Pokey Wilson. You need to, to get somebody out there who's going to reliably catch those balls. Uh, I, I know that he is a big play guy. He's a guy that uh, I think presents a lot of exciting potential out there. But if you can't catch it, then that's it. You, you can't you can't play. So uh, that's going to be really important moving forward that the wide receivers step up and, and be the group on the team that uh, that that's the one group on the offense that you feel like has the talent to play close to a Florida State level and Right, and in the first game, they didn't come close to that. So that's what they're going to have to do. And and if they don't do that, then this is going to be a really, really long season. But if they do the if they do that, then 
you know, they could beat Miami. They could do a lot of things because those receivers do have enough talent to, to create three or four plays in a given game that, uh, that change the scoreboard. So we'll see, we'll see what happens there, but, uh, but that's, that's really, really critical moving forward. We go ahead and look at the defense in the next segment. I want to pause for a moment and thank Shenandoah Newsma from Keller Williams Realty in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. I've been surprised by how many listeners this podcast has in North Carolina. And if you or someone you know is looking for a realtor in the research triangle, Shannon is the best in the business. There's a lot of realtors out there, but not many have a PhD. Shannon did her PhD at UNC and knows how to put that research training to work. My wife and I worked with her when we were looking for a house several years ago, and she sets the standard for having every bit of information possible to help her clients. She is relentless. She's also an ace negotiator as she understands both the economics and psychology of the buying and selling process. You'll want her on your side whether you're buying or selling your house. Her information's in the show notes. Tell her you heard about her from the Unconquered podcast. So going back and taking a look at some of this stuff, the more I, the more I've spent, uh, more time I've spent looking at it and, and taking uh, taking assessments of what what's going on there. I had two complaints. The more I think that the two complaints that I had about the depth chart coming into the season are were accurate then. And I think those complaints are even more apparent now. Uh, to my, in my view, Amari Gaynor needs to be at the box position. He does not need to be at the stud position. That's that Sam linebacker type. Gaynor is the best pass rusher on this team. He's the most versatile guy on the team in terms of being able to move forward and rush the passer and also drop in coverage a little bit. Yeah, he's only 220 pounds. That's okay. You don't need the extra, the the attempts, and I think each staff has made this mistake in thinking that Janarius Robinson really can can play that flex role. Robinson is an, as a defensive end, and dropping him in practice, and dropping him in in uh, in coverage is a serious mistake. He he, I think his uh, coverage grade in this one was in the twenties from uh, Pro Football Focus, and I think that was a fair grade. He just looks lost when he's dropped when he drops in coverage, and to do what they want to do at the Fox position. If he's going to be the primary Fox, he needs to be able to, to drop a little bit and be, be at least somewhat successful there. Gainer can do that and, and cover like a legit linebacker. And Gainer also is a better pass rusher nat- naturally than Janarius Robinson. Robinson is a better run defender. There's no doubt about that. You look at the, at the overall bulk and all of that at 265, 270 pounds. Robinson's a, a, a really good athlete. But to me, you put Robinson on the defensive end side most of the time. You can you can have him rotate in over at Fox in specific cir- circumstances. But to me, I think you solve a lot of the problems up front for this def- defense if you have the defensive end rotate between Kando and Robinson and the Fox position rotate primarily between uh, Amari Gaynor and Robinson. And again, this is this is something that reminds me of the 2013 season when Florida State had they came into the season and they really wanted to use that bigger front. Jimbo was always obsessed with size. I mean, Jimbo was a size king. He really he really wanted he, he always he always used to say that uh, there's a reason there's weight classes in boxing. You know, you get that. Uh, he he also would say uh, uh, that the that a big guy does more more right more good for you by accident than, than the small guy does on purpose. And that's all well and good, but the problem is that if the big guy can't actually play or doesn't really fit in your system, then you're, you're costing yourself. And if you remember, you go back to the 2013 season, that defense was okay through first three weeks. And they, they actually got shelled pretty good by that, Georgia, or by that uh, Boston College team 
in that that Boston College game, they were they were down by three scores early, and they really struggled. And then between the Boston College game and the Maryland game, they made a tweak. They they moved from the five two odd front system that they that they'd really wanted to push for, where uh, Christian Jones was one of the one of the starters on the inside at the inside linebacker, and basically they were. They were using five defensive linemen as your primary primaries there uh, on the, on the defensive line. They moved to a four two five, and they put Christian Christian Jones on the on the edge at the at the at the uh, at the rush end position, and all of a sudden that defense went from pretty good to elite. They were absolutely phenomenal the rest of the year, and you wouldn't have necessarily expected that by going from a two hundred and seventy pound guy up front to a 240-pound guy up front that you would get that much better against both the run and the pass. But Christian Green, or Christian Green's wide receiver, Christian Jones was that kind of freak athlete that could cause you problems with his quickness up front that other guys just couldn't. That They didn't have other guys on the roster that could cause that problem. And all of a sudden, teams were, were having trouble blocking those tackles. They were having trouble blocking the edge. And then that also allowed you to put another more coverage-oriented linebacker on the field at the inside on the inside, and that's when they had Telvin and Terrence Smith on the inside. That's when they 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 had those those two instead of one of them and Christian uh, Christian Jones. That's when that defense took off. In my view, making the move where Amari Gaynor spends most of his time at Fox essentially could be that kind of move where you go from being a pretty good defense to being really good. I think Gainer's that level of a, of a difference maker at the Fox position. And that's the, that's the decision that I think they really as a staff need to make is look, this is the best pass rusher we've got. This is the one real difference maker we've got that can make, that can make things happen, bending the edge that can really do that with, uh, with quickness. And yeah, we're going to have to deal with some things in terms of run fits on that side, but that's where we've got some support from the, from the backers. We've got, you know, bucks that can do this and, put Marvin Wilson on the at the defensive tackle on that side we're going to be able to do our thing there that's and and he's a, a good enough a strong enough run defender only 220 225 pounds but still i think you do a whole lot better with him on the field and deciding to get smaller and quicker there and use the full panoply of his uh of his skills of his versatile skills at that spot and then you open up that stud spot to rotate between Kalen Deloach and I think Jaden Lars Woodby should really be at the stud spot. I mean, I know he wants to play Buck. I know that really he he they think of him as a safety. He thinks of himself as a safety. But that stud spot in this defense is really a, a hybrid safety. And to me, that's where w- Lars Woodby is is at his best is playing that kind of hybrid safety role. And I think that's that's another another move that if you move Gaynor to Fox and Lars Woodby to Stud, all of a sudden I, I think you just as a defense have gotten massively better, just in terms of putting guys where their skill sets fit. And then when Hamza Nasiruddin comes back, you have him at the buck, and until then you have Travis J at the buck, and Travis J is going to be a star. That much is obvious. He is the future, so get him more reps at safety. But to me, you make those those three moves. It's real simple. Gainer to Fox, Lars Woodby to Stud, Janarius Robinson splitting time at defensive end and and at Stud or and and at and at Fox. And all of a sudden you I think are just way better on defense. 
Now, I did notice uh, on, on going back and taking a look at some things, they ran some fun twists and games up front. I mean, they lined up Janarius Robinson at defensive tackle to be able to run a loop, uh, a loop stunt at one point. And they, they did some really fun stuff up front. They just weren't that successful with it. And they need to be a lot more successful with those things as they come in. But I think, again, just moving the personnel around, they're going to be able to get more pass rush with four if they put Amari Gaynor at Fox than they could with five with not having Gaynor as, as one of the pass rushers. So I think that's, you've just got to make, you've got to make the move and you've got to say, you know what, we're going to get smaller. We might give up a couple plays in, in the running game as a result, but odds are we're going to be a lot better overall because teams are going to have a harder time, uh, harder time in the passing game with him on the field at that spot. And again, he can drop and do all sorts of things at that spot that, that again, you can't count on Robinson to do. Uh, so I, I just think they need to be, they, and this is a this is a problem with I think a lot of coaches in general at this level is so many coaches just really do want to want to stay big that I think there is if you want to take the money ball approach doing what Jimmy Johnson and some of those guys did in the eighties of putting a smaller guy at those spots and using that ability uh, that that quickness to cause problems actually still there there still is a money ball kind of uh, benefit there. Uh, to be able to, to use some of those uh, those hybrid defenders a little bit more in those in those hybrid roles, it just makes sense. The other thing that really just continued to stand out is the defensive tackles need to be dominant, and just like the wide receivers need to be really good for the offense to have any chance. The defensive tackles need to be dominant for this defense to be what it should be, because they're supposed to be dominant, and they were not dominant. And honestly, at this point. And you know what? He can hear this, and and I hope it I hope it gives him motivation. But at this point, has there ever been a player who is more highly thought of who has done less at Florida State than Marvin Wilson? I like him. I like him as a as as a as a uh, representative of the program. I, I I think he's extremely talented. But at some point, if you're supposed to be a first rounder, you need to start producing like a first rounder. You need to be creating splash plays that he just hasn't been creating. And yeah, last year you could make the excuse of the front didn't really fit him. Well, what's your excuse for first week? If you're a first rounder, you've got to have a bigger impact. It's just as simple as that. I don't really have a whole lot more to say there. But He's got. He's going to have to play with a chip on his shoulder and show that and prove that he deserves to be discussed in the same breath as some of the true greats at Florida State at defensive tackle. Because he's he's had that reputation, but he sure hasn't played like it. He hasn't played like a Corey Simon. He hasn't played like a heck. He hasn't played like a Jerry Johnson. He hasn't played like a Darnell Dockett. Let's see him do that before we before we go any further there. All right, one last thing, uh, going back to the Georgia Tech game, and this was a, a piece of intel that did leak to me um, from another source, actually not a team source. But uh, I, I found out that that uh, Growth House didn't actually win the kicking job. Growth House did not actually win the kicking job in the preseason. Fitz actually won the job. But the problem was that he was out for the Georgia Tech game due to COVID-19. He had been diagnosed with COVID-19 a little over a week before the game. And of course, they didn't they didn't say that. But uh, but Ryan Fitzgerald actually had won the kicking job in camp and was ready to go. And then, well, COVID-19 struck. He had to sit out. And that accounts, this is one of the questions I had during, uh, during my uh, Hot Takes podcast. Why didn't they 
just kicked the long 48, 50-yard field goal on the second-to-last drive to tie the game. Well, that, that, was, that seemed to me to be a strange decision. Well, that does account for why they weren't quite as confident about that. And with, the, with Growth House, it, it's pretty clear that they weren't as confident with him on the right hash. And then knowing that he was actually not, the, he's not actually the starting kicker. I think he'll probably be the kickoff guy again this year. Uh, that explains a lot about that decision. So I, I thought that was interesting once I found that out. So I'm going to go ahead and uh, break for just a moment, and then I will come back and we'll do a little bit of question and answer and talk about some uh, corrections and improvements that we can uh, look forward to as we move into the next phase of the season. This segment is brought to you by Garage Makeovers, the top-rated garage remodeling company in South Florida, according to HomeAdvisor and Angie's List. They're licensed and insured and have been serving all of Palm Beach and Broward County since 2005. So if you need painting and drywall work or overhead storage, polyaspartic flooring, cabinets, shelving, slot wall, accessories for anything you have, call Nathan at Garage Makeovers for all of your storage and organizational needs. You'll have the best garage in the neighborhood. Information in the show notes. Let them know you heard about them from the Unconquered Podcast. Okay, for this segment, I'm going to start with some question and answer. So first question, um, do you think James Blackman starts against Miami? Is he on a short leash? Would I start? Would you start another quarterback against Miami? Ooh, so first of all, yes, I, I expect Blackman will be the starter. Uh, I see no reason to suspect otherwise. Um, as for whether he's on a short leash, uh, I would not say that it's a short leash, but I would I would say that there is a leash. Uh, that's all I'll say um, in, in terms of that. Would I start another quarterback against Miami? Probably not, no, uh, for a couple reasons. One is, I do think Blackman probably gives you the best chance to win. And I know that's hard hard to believe, but you're talking about playing either a guy who's just coming back from a, from a collarbone injury and is probably not fully cleared to be able to take that contact. So uh, you, you can't play Purdy. And secondly, you're you're talking about your next option is Jordan Travis, and then you're basically just running single wing, and that's that's really not going to work there. And then, especially since your the strength of your team is is supposed to be or the strength of your offense is at wide receiver, so you need a guy that can get the ball to those guys. And then thirdly, uh, Tate Rotomaker is really he's the developmental guy who's going to need a little bit more time, and and he did look good during camp. But here's the other issue: is if you're thinking about the long term, if you're coaching for the long term, the last thing you want is to throw a guy in and ruin him. And I think again in this game against Miami, under these circumstances, not having Norvell to be the guy to talk to your to your quarterbacks to make sure that they're calm and doing all that, all the things that he normally is going to be doing on the sideline, you don't have that. You don't have the extra support there. This is the kind of game that you you just don't want to ruin your young guy. You don't want to ruin either young guy. So to me, and I think you know Purdy, if he was fully healthy, would give you would make it would give you pause just because of the combination of athleticism and, and arm strength there, the ability to make the throws and to run, you know, similar to the way that uh, the Jordan Travis does as a dual threat, less likely to have some of the potential to get ruined situations. Rotomaker's not a dual threat. And you're basically asking him against Miami to sit in the pocket and probably take a beating. And, and I just don't think that that's ideal for, uh, for, for a young guy. All right. Next question. Uh, why did Fuller pl uh, play a bend but don't break defense against Georgia Tech? Well, I think, first of all, they didn't exactly play a bend but don't break defense against Georgia Tech. They did try to affect Jeff Sims a good bit in this game. I mean, that's... they. I think the biggest thing is that they expected to be able to get more pressure with their front four. 
and they used a bunch of stunts. They did bring some blitzes here and there, but this is a defense that you you don't expect when you have that front four, especially against a team that didn't have a great offensive line last year. You don't expect to have to bring five, six, seven players on the rush to be able to affect the quarterback. Again, that's why you're, you're counting on Marvin Wilson and, uh, and Janarius Robinson and the rest of those guys to actually impact the game from what's supposed to be the strength of your defense. If you have to, to blitz to help those guys, that's an indictment against what those guys are doing. So it's not, it's not part of the game plan. The other thing is when you blitz a young quarterback, sometimes you simplify the game for him. And with a guy like, uh, like Jeff Sims, who did make some mistakes when he did get pressured, uh, and also is not the most accurate guy at this stage of the game, do you really want to, to turn this into a scramble situation for him? The, the thought was that you're going to force him and a bunch of receivers that had a 50% catch rate coming into er, last year, you're going to force them to matriculate the ball down the field in, in small chunks. Now, the surprise is that they were able to do it, but it, the, the scheme in that regard is not, it's not bad. To me, the one, the one mistake that they made is doing a little bit less press, but it was not designed to be a bend, but don't break exactly. It was designed to be don't break, but they were, they were not in anticipating needing to do a lot of bending because they thought that they'd get more brush from the, from the front four. And that was really disappointing. Okay, next uh, next question. Now, this was the this was the second part of the first one, and I didn't I didn't see that. Mickey Andrews would blitz a freshman quarterback every play. Why didn't Fuller? Well, actually, that's not true. <laughs> it seemed like Mickey Andrews would blitz a freshman quarterback every play, but Florida State rarely blitzed under Mickey Andrews. That, and and I know that a bunch of you are going, "What? Mickey blitzed all that?" No, he did not. Mickey actually did not blitz a bunch. Mickey ran. <laughs> there were there were games where they'd run ninety eight percent jet robber. It's the only defense they'd play. They'd run one defense out there. Which Jet Robber is four-man rush. The two defensive ends get up the field. They're released uh, to get up the field and rush the quarterback as, as fast as they can. That's Jet. That's You're getting upfield, and you're, you're trying to turn the corner and get to the quarterback, and you basically you're going to stop the run on the way to the quarterback. And then the, uh, the defensive tackles are one gap, turned loose up, up the field. Again, stop the run on the way to the quarterback. And then the linebackers are cleaning up. You've got uh, some man-to-man situations with the, with the two, with two of the three backers. And depending on how many guys they release, that's going to be a third backer might, might end up having a, a man responsibility. And then you're going to have a man free situation on the outside where uh, you're going to have man-to-man press coverage from the corners and then a single deep safety. And then, a, a, then a, a, that second safety, that rover, generally, and they would sometimes flip in terms of who had the responsibility, but the rover would generally come down into the middle of the field and play a robber position where he would try to read the quarterback's eyes and take away anything over the middle. So, you know, you're trying to beat the man-to-man on, on those little in-breaking routes and that sort of thing. Well, the, ro- the rover is there to serve as the robber to take that away. And then he also serves as an eighth defender against the run. That was what Mickey ran, and he would run that 90% of the time. They didn't blitz that much. Now, if teams went empty against Mickey, then he would often blitz. But that that was basically the base. And they didn't blitz that much because they were able to get pressure with the, with the front four. And it looked like they were blitzing all the time because those guys were flying upfield. So th- that's where it's easy to mistake pressure for blitzing 
But what you want is pressure without blitzing. And that's that's what Mickey was able to get because of the special talent that they had at that time. Uh, and that's what they didn't get against Jeff Sims and Georgia Tech on Saturday. Okay, next question. Seemed like Norvell was surprised at the outcome against Georgia Tech in his post-game press conference. Do you agree? I think he was surprised about some things. I don't think he was shocked. Uh, I think he was disappointed. And I do think he was surprised at exactly what I was just talking about. I think he was surprised at the at the impotence of his defensive front four. I think he was kind of expecting to have some difficulties on offense, but I think he thought that he would be able to get a lot more pressure and and create a lot more problems on on defense than than he did. Uh, and I think he was just disappointed that ultimately a few things just didn't go their way and that a few guys didn't make plays and, and that was that. But I don't think he was... Su- My impression of Willie Taggart after the Virginia Tech game, and actually during the Virginia Tech game, was that he was shell-shocked. Like, man, I, I thought we were a lot better than this. My impression of... of uh, of the press conference from Norvell was, well, we were hoping we'd get better than this. We, we were hoping that we'd made some strides, but this is, we are who we thought we were. And, and, you know, a few things where we're a little weaker than we needed to be. A lot of things we need to clean up, but, you know, disappointed, but not, not shocked. And that's kind of where I, where, where I thought he fell in. It was not a shell shocked situation. It was not a, you know, suddenly deer in the headlights. And I thought that's what you got with the last time, which is one of the things that, you watch this first. You watch this game against Georgia Tech, and each of them was a loss. But this was not like that Virginia Tech game, where you get blown out twenty-four to three by a bad Virginia Tech team. Remember that Virginia Tech team wasn't a whole lot better than this Georgia Tech team. But in this game, they were actually competently coached and competitive through the whole game, and really should have won the game in in a lot of respects. Uh, and you know that's that's a that's a difference. And after the game, I think the respective coaches showed that where sort of where they were in terms of their their overall mentality. So, all right, next question. Oh, actually, before I do uh, one more question on this, I, I do want to also mention the other reason that you on defense would limit how many blitzes you bring is every blitz that you put into the defensive game plan is another thing that guys have to learn. And it's more checks that you have to learn. And everything on defense, you can't just run a play on defense. You have to run a play with all of the various formation checks and everything else that come with that play. So you have to run a play and that has, you know, 17 different iterations of it based on what specific formations or tendencies or whatever a team has. So every blitz that you that you add requires more complexity and more learning. And, and at this point, they're really, really short on that. They haven't had time to be able to install everything. And, and I think that was evident as well. So I should have mentioned that earlier. All right. Next question. Um do I like how many, do you like how many offensive linemen they rotated against Georgia Tech? So I actually did. I, I think uh, I, I liked how many players they rotated in general. And this is something that frustrated me the last couple of years is that they, uh, at times I thought were too tight in their rotation. And especially this year, my view is that you need to find out who you have. You didn't have spring. You know that you're going to have to do a lot of roster development over the next year. <laughs> you are going to have to find out which guys you have first and foremost. And second of all, you need to develop for next year because there's going to be a pretty big talent drop off next year. And you're not going to win anything this year in terms of you're not going to compete for a title. You're not going to, but you're, you're aiming for next year and the year after really it's the year after that you really need to be your money year. So you need these guys to be getting some experience at some of these key positions, find out who can actually play and who can't. And then those guys that can, you keep rotating in there and getting them some, some reps. And that's just been traditionally Florida State football anyways, to beat teams with with depth. 
Uh, and that's something that you you have to develop depth by playing guys. And and I think that's something that they're gonna they're gonna commit to doing, and they're gonna uh, they're gonna do more. So I, I liked it. I think again, you need to have a little bit more depth. Some of your better guys, some of your better backups, uh, were not out there to be able to rotate in against Georgia Tech. But I think that's something that they're gonna have moving forward as those guys uh, get healthy again. Okay, before we go, I want to go ahead and uh, talk through a couple last things. I'm curious to see in terms of moving forward, some of the things I want to, I'm most interested in seeing against Miami is I want to see how, how much improvement we can see from a couple of the, the backups that were not out there. How much can Robert Scott, for example, help the offensive line and help give some depth there? Curious to see. And, and I'm also curious to see what, you know, what does he offer? What does he look like in a, in a college uniform and, and how, how well is he going to be able to uh, adjust? How quickly is he going to be able to adjust? Secondly, I want to see, are they going to be able to get more comfortable with the wider range of the run concepts that Norvell likes to run? That's, that's really important. And then finally, can they get the defensive line to, to play to their talent level? Actually, this is not the finally. That's the, that's the second to last. Uh, can they get those guys to play to their talent level? Because if they can, they're going to be able to be in a lot of games, even, even against otherwise better teams. If they can't, they're not going to win very many games this year. And finally, are they going to be willing to make a couple of the moves like Pruitt and, and Jimbo did in 2013, where suddenly they decided, you know what, we, this just isn't working, and they they scrapped what the original plan was, and they moved guys to where they actually fit better with the defense, and they got their best eleven on the field. Are they going to be willing to do that? Are they going to be flexible enough to put a gain, put Gainer at Fox to maybe move Lars Woodby down to stud some and do some things that that get them better in terms of best eleven on the field more often, and certainly creating some pass rush and some pressure. Those are the things I'm most interested in seeing as we move into uh, the Miami game and for- and move forward. We'll go ahead and leave it there. This has been the Unconquered Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Staples. Thanks for listening. The Unconquered Podcast is brought to you by EPR Creations, Louis Marquez of Keller Williams Realty in Jacksonville, Florida, Shenandoah Newsma of Keller Williams Realty in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, Garage Makeovers of Palm Beach and Broward County, and the Unconquered Podcast Shop, which features stickers, magnets, and other Seminole gear. If you've been enjoying this podcast, please leave a five-star rating over at Apple Podcasts, post us on social media, and tell a friend. Thanks also to those supporters over at Patreon, where I post video analysis and field questions for the podcast from supporters. Special thanks to those above the bleach numbers level. That is Keith Cheney, Casey Kidd, Chris Chartrand, Andrew Garrett, Brian Leninger, Travis Smith, Vince Calandra, and Bert Bertoldi. I made this. <laughs>